Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Grad Life, which is a part of the Gradcast podcast. Hopefully, you really enjoyed our brand new theme music because this is the first time that we're using it on this episode. So, I'm really excited about that. Let us know how you feel. Um, my name is Monica Molinero, and today I'm here with my co host, Vicky. Hello, everyone. As well as Nicole. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> and today we have a very special guest. Her name is Monica Minerato. Hi, Monica. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. <laughs> how are you doing? I am okay. This is my first podcast, so it's a learning experience, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. How do you feel so far? <laughs> I feel very welcomed. Good. And <laughs> great. <laughs> great way to start. Yes. yes. Um, so, Monica, very quickly, as we start getting into this episode, do you mm-hmm. want to tell us what your role is here at the university? And maybe our listeners can make the connection as to why you're on the grad life segment of the <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. So my title is Manager of Graduate Student Life, mm-hmm. and it is a relatively new position at Western. It was uh, started only in July, and right now the role is looking at graduate student life at Western as a whole and working with a bunch of campus partners to really define what the graduate experience can be on our campus. And when I talk to people and I, I want to give them an elevator pitch, Often graduate students, when they name their grad school and I say, oh, you went to X university, the response really often is, oh, but I was just a grad student there. And they kind of back away from it as if that wasn't transformative. And so the goal is that if we really take a good look and invest some time and some resources and connect with students and people across campus, that grad students at Western, they'll say, yes, I did go to Western. I did my master's there and it was fantastic. And here's why I loved being a student at Western. So that's the that's the ultimate goal, the elevator pitch. Um, and, and how we get to that is, is still in process, but that's what I'm here to do. Interesting. Okay. Well, thus far, at least for our Grad Life podcast, some of the factors that we've talked about thus far that are maybe, I don't know if integral is the right word, mm-hmm. but like... I'd say common, canonical. Yes. I, I these are all synonyms of each other. Yes. Um, that we've discussed thus far are... Finances mm-hmm. as a big one. We will probably do a few more episodes on finances sure. because that topic is so huge. Imposter syndrome was our very first episode, oh, and people loved that. I think that was our most. It maybe. <laughs> yeah, we got a little bit heated in here about it. Um, and recently, we also recorded an episode on holidays. So, like the winter break that we take, and what it's like to be mm-hmm. a grad student over the break, and what different perspectives from different mm-hmm. grad students are. Stay tuned for that. We have not released it yet, <laughs> or at least in the time that we are recording right now. It has yes. not been released. By the time this comes out, that episode should be out, and I would hope that you've all listened to it already. <laughs> um, and so when you say grad life, does it encompass those factors, or is that still something that's like a work in progress at this point? It absolutely encompasses those factors. Um, <laughs> so... W- One of the things that has stuck with me since I came to Western, I was highly engaged in this year's graduate student orientation. Mm -hmm. And I was, I'm new to Western. I'm not new to graduate student life. My background is in career advising for grad students. I've been working on university campuses for a very long time, helping students through different transitions. And uh, as well, academically, I study graduate student success. So it's all tied in together. But when I was first at this orientation, one of our faculty members, Dr. Margaret McGlynn, commented on how there's this ideal goal of of eight hours of work a day, Mm -hmm. eight hours of rest and sleep, and then eight hours for what you will. And it it stems from the history of unions, and and, um, it's one of the, the fights for us to have weekends. And 
she kind of placed it in the context of grad studies, where so often, and it is so true, there's such a blending. So graduate student life, when you're a grad student, it infiltrates every aspect for most students of, of their day. And so quite often the eight hours of work is not an eight hours of work. It's it's much longer than that. And very few grad students that I speak to talk about how fantastic their regular eight hours of sleep have been. <laughs> um, often that's one of the things grad students cut first. And so our goal is to make sure that there's still that eight hours of all the other things that make us rich as grad students, whether that's socializing, mm-hmm. spending time with family, uh, other interests, other activities, whether it's spending time on our overall wellness. So if you look at that eight, eight and eight model, then mm-hmm. a place where that kind of fits in is in those other eight hours of of growing as a person whatever you've come whatever stage you've come to grad school in Mm -hmm. it's I think a a really well aligned kind of philosophy with what you're trying to do with your podcast so I think it it does fit in pretty well when you said eight eight and eight I think I had to count like three times to make sure that just even adds up because it doesn't (laughs) feel like like, I don't have this many fingers I don't feel like I ever have that much time in the day like and if you were to cut something out what do you think would you recommend to cut out because I feel like yeah as you said grad students is definitely sleep but like you know you gotta make you gotta take some in put some out like what would you recommend to it's a really great question, and I don't think any of you will be surprised by my answer. It depends on the person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, for example, uh, some students, they may take out some of their social time. Mm-hmm. For other students, removing that social time is detrimental to their sense of well-being. For sure. It might minimize the opportunities they have to uh, connect with others, to develop networks of people mm-hmm. that will support them during difficult times. Right. So uh, other students, I might say, well, you know, you really spend a lot of time in this particular zone. Maybe they're on nine intramural teams. And with regards to the health benefits mm-hmm. of um, getting engaged in activity, they've, re- they've already reached the health benefit maximum. So that might be something for someone else. It's, it's absolutely unique. And that's one of the things that makes, as well, kind of studying graduate student success so complicated is that every student is different. And that's probably one of the the challenges and opportunities in the role that I have, Mm -hmm. is that there's no, we're gonna look at graduate student life and we're gonna do it really, and I think we have done some really positive things already, but um, we're looking for new ways to broaden what's there. Right. Because we have a chance to learn more about who the population is and what they need and and what we're offering and and how Mm -hmm. we can um, increase those offerings, shift offerings, and look at new kind of opportunities. And I find it so important. I'm going to go back to what you said before when you mentioned um, when you talk to a student and they say, oh, I did my my graduate work at this school, but it was just graduate work. I find I related to that so much because, you know, most of that student experience aspect you get within your undergraduate. And so people say, you know, when I went to this university, they often relate it to their undergraduate experience. And while you were talking, I was thinking about what differs between the graduate student experience and the undergraduate student experience. And I was thinking here at Western, you know, there's there's different services, there's different aspects that um, portrays more so the undergraduate student life, such as um, when I'm thinking about student cards, for example, because I did my undergraduate here at Western, too, and um, there was a lot of emphasis on, emphasis on Mustang Express and, you know, those night buses that take you home and that sort of thing. And you lose all those perks once you become a graduate student, so you don't feel part of the same, um, same crowd as the undergraduate group. So what... So this is a new position for you, right? So what do you think are certain ways that you can sort of familiarize this graduate student experience within this population here at Western? One of the things that came to mind as you're speaking, <clears throat> excuse me, and hearing your experience is for many graduate students, and again, this is not everyone's experience, 
Right. There's their daily lives are focused on the department that they're in. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you look at the largest influences on a student's academic experience, their graduate experience overall, it's usually tied into people that are within their academic unit, whether it's those peers or it's um, their specific instructors, et cetera. So one of the things that can broaden the student's campus experience is engaging in activities that take them outside of that department. So often um, people will speak about um, things that are going well and sometimes they talk about things that are are a challenge. Sometimes it's easier if you're facing things that are challenges Mm -hmm. to talk to someone who's in a different department to get a new perspective. Um, So in that context, broadening your network of community, the people that you're engaging with, that can sometimes really do a lot to not only help you feel like you're a stronger um, kind of community member, that you're, you're more deeply engaged with your campus, mm-hmm. but it can also provide opportunities that some students simply might not have if every day they're coming to campus, but really they're not coming to campus, they're coming to their department, mm-hmm. and they're engaging with the same 15 people every right. single day. And so the breadth of resources that we have on campus, the phenomenal um aspirations and goals, uh, certainly of the the division that I'm fortunate to work in, which is student experience, a lot of students don't see themselves reflected in those services, Mm -hmm. but it's a self, they're they're self-selecting out. So they see them as undergraduate services because they use them in their undergrad. Mm -hmm. And so trying to find a way, I think, um, to broaden their overall campus engagement, to talk to them and have them see themselves reflected Mm -hmm. in the services and activities that are being presented, and um, possibly just kind of um, rethinking what a graduate student experience can be. Mm -hmm. And the, the first step for a lot of graduate students is thinking outside the department. But I don't under... Um, value, and I certainly don't (laughs) minimize how important that department is. It's just a shift in thinking of how are we going to get engaged in other ways that enrich my experience as a grad Mm -hmm. student. So along with that then, because part of me is thinking about um, my experience as an undergrad myself. I did not go here, but I was also a commuter student. I lived at home and commuted to school. And when I think about the population of grad students, I feel like the population of grad students is so much more diverse than the population of undergraduate students that you typically get. Like graduate students have families, have children. The age Mm -hmm. range is a lot bigger. The any sort of social, cultural, anything kind of background or what's informing their experience is a lot more vast than what it is in undergrad, at least in my experience, once again. And so what I'm wondering is, does that become more difficult in in trying to engage all of these grad students because they're all over the spectrum in terms of what personal context they're bringing into their graduate experience. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I would would definitely, first I will open uh, my response with a shout out to the diverse undergraduate population. I agree with what you said. Statistically, there are far more parents. There's all these things in the graduate student population, yes, but they do also exist in the undergrad population. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure if there's (laughs) any aspiring grad students out there, we know know that uh, that that population is diverse. But you're right. And um, looking at, I don't have Western's numbers at my fingertips, but Mm -hmm. Looking nationally and across North America, it is a very diverse pool of people. One of the things as well that's a challenge with engagement is people not only arrive with those personal life experiences you've highlighted, but they also arrive with professional life experience. Mm. So if I was to say, oh, I'm going to offer a session on resume writing, um, perhaps some of the people I'm advertising mm-hmm. to actually have a, a large portion of their job is hiring people. They're HR professionals. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not really going to strike a chord with them. So that's part of uh, the realities of graduate student engagement. Everybody that plans an event really hopes that 100 people will show up. Right. And they really hope that students are going to be 
um, registering and then showing up. Mm -hmm. But one of the things with grad students, and I had a really interesting conversation about this actually in my meeting prior to coming together with you, is that grad students are time poor. And quite often they are facing deadlines. Mm -hmm. So they may have a good intention. There's a really great event, whether it's social or related to professional development. They sign up well in advance. Mm -hmm. And then there's something that may even be a lower priority, but it's time sensitive. It needs to get in by Friday or they've Mm -hmm. been called to this meeting last minute, however it may be. And so actually attending the events is a challenge. And we see that a lot with our own group. So we try to do a lot of recruitment events. And it's funny because you talk about um, getting outside of your department and engaging with other grad students. And I think our group here at GradCast is actually very good at doing that. We bring a whole broad host of um, different departments together and we try our best. And the one thing that we do focus on a lot is our recruitment events where we try to bring in as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the times we do get a little bit discouraged at some of the numbers that come up. But at the end of the day, they are not too bad considering that, you know, everyone's on their own schedules. And uh, we have to we have to be a little bit more mindful Mm -hmm. at the fact that not everyone can just drop what they're doing and show up to this one social event. And it makes a lot of sense for sure. I also wonder if part of that goes back to I remember we had this discussion, I think it was during our finances episode Mm -hmm. where we were talking about, you know, do you consider your PhD a job? Like, are you a worker or are (laughs) you a student? And I feel like that perception plays into how we end up experiencing grad school. Like, I know that I'm experiencing grad school very differently Mm -hmm. from how I experienced my undergrad. Because when you're an undergrad, you're like, I'm a student. I'm learning. (laughs) I'm doing these things. Whereas in grad school, I'm like, I'm an RA for this. I'm working for that. I'm working for, Mm -hmm. like, it's I'm working Working. for these. So it's like, I'm wondering if it's because we're perceiving this as a job job rather than as a student learning experience. Mm -hmm. I think it's very dependent on the department, though. Like, I know, for example, like, I come from the geology department, and, yeah, we don't, like, we do look at it as a job. So it's like, we're only paid to be here from 9 to 5. After that, nobody really does work. I mean, obviously, not everybody. Some people take it like a little more serious than others but (laughs) like I don't know after five you're kind of done whereas I hear like biology department and they're at the lab till 9 p.m. and working from I don't know waking up at six just so they can answer the the, their emails and stuff like that for sure but it's still work yes well it does feel like work (laughs) I would say that your experience is not reflective even of your discipline Mm -hmm. but of the culture within the community that you're in you could come in three years from now and the culture could shift that they're working different sorts of hours. But the other piece that in that, that kind of dialogue that was sitting in the back of my mind was a lot of grad students are also, like they may view their graduate work as work, mm-hmm. but they're also working for someone else. And for so many of them, it's, I know in my undergrad, I usually worked for student affairs. I'm a student affairs lifer is what they would call me. Um, So, you know, residents, Dawn, and and volunteering for different mentoring programs, that sort of thing. It was all tied into my campus sense of self. Mm -hmm. But we have students, so many of them that are graduate students, they also work and they're they're working parallel at IBM or, and it might be a part-time job, but they're seeing it as as an actual career aspect. So it's a really interesting kind of shift where they're almost leading um, two distinct paths. So whether they're looking at that grad work as some of them um, choose to go to grad school, there's a lot of people that study the motivation of why people choose graduate work. Most people will report that it's somehow related to their their intentions and hopes for their career, whether it's uh, a career that will be the outcome of the learning or to increase the salary in a career that they're currently in. But for many students, they're kind of leading this they're, they're driving. It's not two lives. It's the same life. <laughs> they're weaving in and out of two lanes right. at the same time. And so when you think about that, and, and I, I, I really hope the message came through, uh, that when you have a, an event that you're trying to get grad students at, 
and the turnout is low, it's rarely because the content or the quality Mm -hmm. of the programming you're offering is low. It's because grad students, as a pool, seem to be extremely what I call time poor. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there's so many competing and conflicting expectations that their intention is to participate and grow and and, and, uh, engage in campus. But what a what a challenge before me now that I think about that. Right? We're talking about how hard it is to get people engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the things that we want, that we know are fulfilling and help uh, graduate students have a sense of well-being mm-hmm. exist here. Right. So it's looking at how are we meeting the needs of different people. So one of the things that I was really excited about in the fall, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly a, a shout out to SOGS and a <laughs> shout out to my friends uh, that work in athletics and recreation services, is uh, sport and recreation services, is that we hosted uh, graduate students with families mm-hmm. at one of the football games. And oh. we offered free tickets, like the graduate students, just so you know, uh, Students get free access to games, <laughs> but we also offered free companion t- tickets, and so they could either bring a partner, they could oh. bring their own parents. The hope was that they, if they had young families, they would be able to bring their young families. Mm-hmm. And the goal there was to say, let's give something on a Saturday to a population, this diverse population of graduate students that's often mm-hmm. forgotten. Right. I don't think that the the average grad student necessarily has has children. Let's n- make sure it's not cost prohibitive, mm-hmm. and let's bring them into the campus community. And so something that's that uh, people who attend an event like that mm-hmm. are usually really excited about being a part of the campus. And so we were really quite pleased to offer it. Mm-hmm. We'll be offering another one uh, surrounding hockey in the wintertime so that uh, we can build a sense of community. And, and one of the things that I heard from that was, although from feedback from people, was although they couldn't make the game, mm-hmm. the fact that someone said, I see you, you're a grad student with a family, and this might not be the event for you. But I know you're here and you matter to us and we're hoping to increase your engagement. So I was really excited. <laughs> so we're going to do it again. And hopefully and, it, and yeah. it would be impossible to host a separate event for every single potential demographic. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a really great collective group of people here who are focused on graduate student wellness who are trying to kind of think outside mm-hmm. the box and broaden what we offer. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully uh, yeah, more students are going to yes. see themselves reflected in what we're doing. Because right. I don't know that the average grad student sees a poster for a football game and says, mm-hmm. oh, that's how I'll spend my Saturday. But well, when we yeah. say, here's four free tickets for your mm-hmm. family to join you, let's bring grad students together. I think it's a, a positive shift mm-hmm. in culture around, for example, that particular event. And I'll let you know that that initiative, for me at least, worked because I remember as you were d- <laughs> discussing it, I vividly recall seeing that like on Twitter and I think I saw it with an email thread or something like that. So I remembered that. And it's interesting to see that, you know, you got a positive um, sort of interpretation of that from that cohort of people. And I'm glad that it's going to be brought on to the next semester as well or in the winter term because it's nice to have that sort of community and have it continuously there throughout the year. Um mm-hmm makes it a little bit safe, I guess, for people like that in within those areas. So and I like that. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> um, graduate parents are a soft spot for me, being mm-hmm. a graduate student myself who has three children. Um, one of the things, too, that I often hear in conversations with graduate student parents is they sometimes carry some guilt. Like they mm-hmm. can't always make a particular, you know, event or, or their, their children, they know they have really important meetings, but they don't understand. And right. so I really like the idea of, of providing space for them to feel welcome on campus and mm-hmm. um, bringing them into the fold. And that's a piece that the parents talk about, how it's really great to have their children observe this part of their life. So it's great. I've heard from a lot of professors and like just 
people that I've talked to about this, they said that that's actually the perfect time to have children. That they said that afterwards, like if you're doing your postdoc, for example, then it you don't have as much time as you do in like your PhD or your masters, and you're still young, and there's a lot of help in grad programs. So, how do you feel about that? I've heard the same thing that like if you want to family <laughs> plan, you should do it while like you're in grad Increase in the population of the city of London, they're going to appoint It is again, it is so specific to the individual. So yeah. it also, for example, would depend on the environment that you're in academically. It depends on the type of research that you're doing. I was extremely fortunate to be very well supported, and I'm sure Western would be the same way. But I, I I'm not a Western student, so mm-hmm. I speak from my life experience. Um, where my supervisors are just like, yeah, put everything on hold Mm -hmm. for a year. I don't know that every research stream has the same thing. And I found I I came back and so much had been published while I was gone. Mm -hmm. And so I had a really hard time catching up. Myself, um, I'm comfortable to share um, with my second baby. I had I actually had two babies during my PhD. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, with my second child, um, I was very sick in my third trimester. You can't you can't plan for that. Right. And so it actually shifted my entire schedule. Mm-hmm. And so um, I missed the appropriate sitting time for my comprehensive exams. They got delayed a year and a half because I had a year mm-hmm. leave. And then I came back and had to relearn everything because oh. so much had been published in right. that, that one year um, since I went away. So... Uh, I think I have the same conversation sitting around with friends of mine that are thinking about starting families, graduate students, bankers, whatever <laughs> it is, on um, when's the best time. And it depends on so many factors. And so many people will tell you every time is the best time and no time is the best time. <laughs> Definitely. So yeah. it's a really interesting question. And I think it might be something um, that is so personal. It's right. one of those great ex- opportunities to talk to the people that are in your department. Mm-hmm. You know, what are their experiences like? Right. And, and, you know, what kind of... Um, knowledge or background can they pull from but uh, there's a lot of uh, pros and cons I will say I'm in a lot of mommy PhD groups um, <laughs> online and so we, we talk about the the joys but also the challenges that it presents right. and my children are very young and other people I know uh, one of the um, very popular wonderful well-respected professors in my department she did her PhD after her children were teenagers. And so, you know, that's a different experience where it's not easier. It's just different, <laughs> it's just different challenges. So it depends. I will see, say that uh, sleep deprivation is, if you wanted to make a list of the biggest challenges for me academically, it's that my children are so young. They're currently two mm-hmm. and four. Right. And uh, that's something to consider, right? If, you're, mm-hmm. if you only need the three hours of sleep, then it wouldn't affect you the way it's affecting me. Oh my gosh. You were talking as well about that parental guilt a little bit earlier. Is that something that you experience yourself? Like, is that an experience that you relate to personally? I can't say no because I I was alarmed that my son knew the names of all my committee members (laughs) at four years old. (laughs) And he said, what are you doing? Are you writing an email to Dr. So-and-so? And And I was like, oh dear. Um, But it hasn't um, been a major factor for me, again, because I have had the flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge shout out um, to my department. They're very supportive of me academically. And so I've been able to um, hold this role right now part time until I've met a couple academic deadlines, which has permitted me to have that family life balance mm-hmm. that um, I value. So I'm trying to live the 888 uh, to the best <laughs> of my experience. But uh, I think certainly there would be more time for certain things with my kids if I wasn't also working on mm-hmm. academic work in the evenings or on the weekends. So. Definitely. Do you think that your personal experience is informing your experience doing this grad life work that you're doing here at Western currently? How could it not? True. Right? <laughs> so one of the things that I'm I'm 
able to do, especially because my academic area is graduate student success. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to bring a lot of the other studies that exist and the data and the research and that right. to the role perhaps more quickly than someone would if they were coming, you know, they were an excellent student affairs personnel, but they, they didn't necessarily have the background in grad life. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's a great um, it's a great benefit, but I also have to be cognizant of my blind spots. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy. I have not done a graduate degree at Western. I've never been a Western <laughs> student myself. So it's, I think it informs what I do. I think it provides me with a broader, uh, certainly a broader knowledge base when you look at the, the, the practical aspects. Mm-hmm. I think having lived an experience where I'm a commuter student, I'm an uh, employed student who's also a full-time doctoral student. Mm-hmm. I've had, you know, family responsibilities. Perhaps it has made me uh, gentler, um, but I think um, it also, I'm cognizant of, of the blind spots. So <laughs> my experience, I will say it again and again, everyone's experience is different. Right. So there's a lot of that that comes with it as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we'll, fi- we'll finish off with one more question, and that's, is there anything important that you think we should know as graduate students? Probably the biggest thing that I would say, if you told me I could only say one thing, what would it be, <laughs> is that... We're so important as grad students to the institution. Hmm. And I don't, and I, I even hesitate to say institution. We're so important to the people who are involved in our education, in the transfer of knowledge, in the things that we're excited and proud to be graduate students for. A lot of the people around us are super excited about those mm-hmm. things. And we're very, as, as a pool of graduate students, not that we're, you know, mm-hmm. similar, we're, we're all unique, but. We're very quick to focus on our research and focus on our department and assume that we're not reflected in what's out there. We have, for example, a really high um, uptake with students engaging in intramurals. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what is that? Like graduate students who are engaging in intramurals. So we're flocking to that. Why don't we see ourselves in the other thing? So are we engaging in um, other services throughout campus, other group um, organizations, volunteer opportunities, those sorts of things? They're for us too. Mm -hmm. But often we get very tied into that eight hours of work, which is then 10 hours, which is then 12 hours, then 14 hours. Mm -hmm. So that would probably be the key piece is to take a step back and think I'm only a student for a little while. What does the university offer everyone and how can I tap into that? Because very few things with regards to the whole university. I mean, you've highlighted Mm -hmm. some things that grad students don't get. Right. (laughs) um, But I I think it's a shorter list of the Mm -hmm. things we don't get versus the things that uh, and the people who are waiting to engage with us and learn from us as grad students mm-hmm. and share our experiences with them. So so that's the reason why this job, um, this position was created. Mm-hmm. And there are not a lot of universities that hold this position. And I'll be completely frank. Um, I loved being a career advisor for graduate students and mm-hmm. postdocs. I met, I did five hours of advising a day. And I had this instant, like after every meeting, hopefully, people say, I learned something new. I feel really great about my yeah. degree now. And I really understand how to talk to industry about, you know, why my work here in this doctoral mm-hmm. program or master's program will apply to their work. Right. And so when this job came up, I, I consulted with some friends and they said, this is a really good thing. And it's not at a lot of universities. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities for Western to, to engage with graduate students and change the culture nationally are really uh, worth harnessing. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I did. I'm glad that I'm <laughs> here. Um, but uh, as well, I would say um, it's up to the grad students themselves mm-hmm. to embrace it and hear the messages of those of us that are saying, come along and, and embrace Western. So with that then, Monica, if any of our listeners wanted to get in contact with you or anything of the sort, do you have any social media, email address, is anything? How can people get in contact with you? 
Well, <laughs> um, definitely, if you're ever looking for me, you're very welcome to email me directly. Mm-hmm. So um, my short code is M-M-U-N-A-R-E-T at, of course, uwo.ca. I can be found on Twitter, but it's my personal account. But um, we're in the process because it's a new role of building what this grad student life portfolio mm-hmm. will look like. So we're still building that. But you can connect with me on Twitter Absolutely. I would love to hear from you. And as we move forward, we're actually going to be hosting a number of events to get feedback from the graduate student community and from stakeholders across campus on what their version Mm -hmm. of a really strong grad student life will look like. And so throughout the month of January, keep your eyes peeled for invitations. You can meet me personally at one (laughs) of these events. (laughs) Um, But we're hosting the events not in the traditional focus group or survey way. Okay, We're saying you come in, and you tell us what you want to talk mm. about. And so we really hope a lot of students will take the opportunity to have their voice heard, engage, and help shape what this great portfolio can do. Great. Yeah. That was so <laughs> perfect. Okay. So with that then, everyone, um, I'm Monica Molinaro. I'm here with my co-host, Vicki and Nicole. And you just listened to another episode of Grad Life. If you liked the episode, if you wanted to share any feedback with us, if you wanted to give us ideas for any new episodes, please get in contact with us. But other than that, thanks so much for listening. 